Now, you're going to think, well, but we're, for those of you that have been here, you're going to think we're not at the crucifixion, we're not at the resurrection. How can we be at, the, at just the right place? Well, because we are. Uh, the, the reality is, is that as we've come into this, into this passage in John chapter 12, and if you've got your Bibles, you can go ahead and flip, it, flip them to John chapter 12. But as we come to this passage in John chapter 12, we really begin to see Jesus as he focuses on the cross. We've turned a point, we've turned a corner in his life, and this passage begins to focus on the last week of Christ's life before the cross. Remember, think about that. That's before the cross. His, his life has not ended. He's still alive, and that's why we glorify God. That's why we worship. That's why we're here, is because he is still alive. But this, this, this passage in John begins to really focus heavily on the events of Christ's life in that last week before the cross. And the passage that we're in really is, is what's considered to be his last event in public ministry. We're going to come to a place in this passage where Jesus withdraws and begins to deal only with his disciples. And, and, and so what we see him doing, or at least as, as I've seen it, we've seen him begin to paint a picture of, 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 of a summary, really, of what he had come to do what his purpose in coming was, what, what, what this was all about. And so for now, now until the next, uh, for the next six weeks, I guess, we're going to talk about this road to the cross, this, this journey to the cross and, and how Christ summarizes it in this passage. It, it, it really started last week. I didn't emphasize it a lot. I, was, I wasn't normal last week. There was something going on. I was, I was off, but uh, I didn't hit this and I didn't focus on it much so I want to bring it back so that for those that weren't here they can kind of be with us but also so that those that were here will get the application and they'll see it happening. And in this passage that we focused on last week in, in John 12 we saw Jesus come into Jerusalem. He came into Jerusalem to the praises of his people. The, the Jews they had heard about what Jesus was doing they were excited they were, they, they, were, they were wanting to see and experience Jesus and, 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 and get close to this man who had risen, a guy from the dead who had who'd stood outside of a grave and said, Lazarus, come out. And the guy came out, and they wanted to be near that. They wanted to experience what he's like, and they wanted to see him with their own eyes. And, and, and so he comes into Jerusalem, and as he's coming in, these people that had gathered there for the Passover come out to meet him, and they're praising him, and, and they're exalting him, and they're putting putting uh, palm fronds in their coats down on the ground for him to, to ride his donkey across. And, and, and he gets a king's greeting. But very quickly in the passage, we learn that Jesus isn't there to bring glory to himself or honor himself in any way. You see, very quickly in the passage, we see that while many of the people that were coming to Jesus came with selfish motivations, Jesus, his whole life, was a life of self-denial. And you see that begin, he, can be, he begins to teach that in John chapter 12, verses uh, 24, 25, and 26. And he talks about that, that, um, that, that he came for the purpose of glorifying his Father. That was the overarching theme of his whole life. It was never at any time to set himself up in, in fame and glory. But, but, but he demonstrates for us that his whole purpose in life was to bring glory to his Father. And he doesn't leave us wondering... But he tells us very clearly that that's the life that believers are called to as well. You see, our life is not meant to be one of fame and glory for ourselves. Our life is to be one of self-denial, 
of, of living for His glory, living for His purposes and, and His desires, a, a, a self-denial, a, di- a dying to self. And the passage really clearly shows us that. And that's last week's message. And, and, and while I could preach it again and maybe, maybe I would feel like I did do a better job, that's, that's not what we're here for today. The reality is, though, is that this road to the cross, it starts at self-denial. It starts at this place where, where Jesus, sometime in eternity past, at some point when, when Him and God, the Father and the Holy Spirit, are together in perfect community. Are they, not even a point of time, because time has no bearing on them, but, 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 but in terms that we can only understand is, is this point where, where there's just this understanding that, that the Father is going to send the Son. And the Son is going to step out of heaven and He's going to give up this glory and He's going to give, up, give, give, give this all up, this, this, this connection to the Father. And he's going, to, he's going to come and He's going to put on flesh. He's going to deny Himself. He's going to humble Himself. And He's going to live this life that's perfect without sin. And He tells us that He does it for one very specific purpose. To bring glory to the Father. You see, as we pick up our passage today, we're going to pick it up in verse 27. As we pick up our passage today, that's really what we're going to see Jesus focusing on and teaching and the call to our lives as well. Let's pray before we read this and just ask for God to be with us. Dear Father, I do thank You for Your Word. I thank You for... uh, making sure that we can read it today as, as it was recorded. I thank you for protecting it, for speaking through it through your Holy Spirit, and for using it to point us back to the work you've done through your Son. I pray that today as we read and learn and are challenged, that we recognize that, that this life of self-denial, that, that this, this life of giving up ourselves, it's not something that you're doing to, to uh, hinder us or stop us or, or, or cause us just trouble. But that as we deny ourselves and, and look to what you're doing and, and see our lives begin to glorify you, that that's where we'll find our satisfaction. I pray that you just speak today through your word. I pray that you, you'll be with us and guide us through it. It's all these things I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You see, the road to the cross, it does start with self-denial. But this road to the cross, it had, it had purpose. And it accomplished its purposes. It accomplished what, what God set out to do in it and, and through it. It, 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 it. it didn't fail. It wasn't a mistake. It wasn't that it surprised Him. And that's what we're going to see. So in verse 27, let's pick up and just begin reading. We'll read through verse 32. Now is my soul troubled. Jesus is feeling just tension and stress and, 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 and maybe even anxiety. He is, he, is, he is troubled. He is grieved. He is, he is dealing with some heavy emotions. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this purpose I have come. It's this very thing that he's about to teach. It's this very, this, this very word that he's about to say. It's for this reason I'm here. 
It's for this reason that I put on flesh and dwelt among you. It's for this reason that I'm dealing with this grief and this trouble and this self-denial. It's for this reason that I'm giving up the easy road and taking this road. He goes on to say, Father, glorify Your name. And then a voice came from heaven and says, I have glorified it and I will glorify it again. I love this because this is not something as if God is hoping He might get glory or something that He's thinking it could happen if, if all the pieces just fall into the right place. I might get glory. I might demonstrate my worth and my, and my, and my, and my glory. No. He says, I, I will. I have and I will. He, he's not guessing. He's, he's sovereign and He's speaking with authority. And the crowd that stood there and heard it said that it thundered. Others said, an angel has spoken to him. And Jesus answered, this voice has come for your sake, not mine. Now is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. And I, when I am lifted up from this earth, will draw all people to myself. I want you to hear this. You see, the, the, the purposes and, and the work that was accomplished in the cross was first we see that God is glorified. God is glorified in the cross. Second, we see that, 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 that Jesus in the cross is, is, is going to bring judgment on the world and it is going to defeat the, de- defeat the devil, defeat the enemy. He's going to be exalted Himself. And His people are going to be saved. For the next few weeks, that's what we're going to be focusing on. That's what we're going to be picking apart and understanding and, and seeing how it brings application to our lives today. Today we're going to see that the cross truly glorifies God. The cross, such a horrendous event, it glorifies God. Now, to bring glory to someone or to, to glorify something or someone is, is to, to praise them, to honor them, to, to say good things about them or to, to demonstrate in your actions that they're worthy of honor. So for me to, to glorify Amy, my wife, I would, I would say good things about her. I would do things that would demonstrate that she was, uh, that, that she was special to me, that, that she meant something to me. And, and it wouldn't matter if she was with me or if I was by myself. You see, it, 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 it couldn't be that I could say I'm glorifying my wife if while I'm with her I say good things. But when I'm away from her, I act as if she doesn't exist. You see, and the same could be said for God. The same could be said for God. To glorify God means that in our words we demonstrate how much He means to us, how, how, how much we care about Him. In our actions, they, they don't, they don't dis- dispute what we say with our mouths. But our actions follow what our words say. Our, our feet go where our mouths lead us. You know, our, our, our paths and our, and, and our words, they, they, they match up. And, and we don't do it just when people are looking. We don't do it so that people think we're good. We understand that the, the glory in our lives, the, the, the glory of glorifying of God happens at all times. In fact, Paul calls us to that. In all things, glorify God. In all that you do, glorify Him. That's what, that's what we're called to. That's, that's what we're supposed to do. And so our lives should be patterned in such a way that they demonstrate how much we love Him that they demonstrate uh, how much we care about Him and how 
much He means to us and, and how willing we are to give of ourselves. See, to, to, to glorify God is to place Him in, in, in this place of preeminence and prominence in our lives above every other thing. There's nothing that can even come close. There's nothing that can compare. That's, the, that, that's what it is to glorify God. To pattern our life around Him and what He has for us. To deny ourselves our selfish desires, our, our guilty pleasures. To, to deny those things, to walk away from them, to turn from them, to let them go. That is what it is to honor Him. To enjoy what He's given us. To, 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 to be pleased with, with the things that He's given us. To find contentment with the gifts that He's given us. Longing only more for, for, for more of Him. Wanting only more of Him. That's what it is to glorify God. To give our life back. To, to, to give it back. To die to ourselves. To recognize that, that there is no other offering that even comes close. And, and even this is only acceptable because He says it is. But to lay it down before Him. To live as a sacrificial act of worship. That's what Paul talked about in Romans chapter 12. To, to die to ourselves so much that we live for Him. That's what it is to glorify God. We touched on this last week as we recognized this overarching purpose in Jesus' life. His life was given to glorify His Father. I mentioned a song that, that you know, at the time I, I tore it up. I couldn't remember the words really. But, but there was a phrase that I wanted to get out that, that, that I just take issue with. And the, the song really focuses on Christ's crucifixion and it says, it, it, it wants us to, to remember what He did and that's good. And it says, like a rose trampled on the ground, I'm going to have to read it because I'll mess it up again. He took the fall and thought of me above all. You know, and, and, and I'm not trying to point my finger at the, the guy that wrote this song. I'm not even sure who wrote it. It's old enough that I, and I just don't know music, but I don't know. But what I do want us to see is that this passage shows us. This passage plainly says that, that, that I wasn't the first thing in Jesus' mind, that you were not the first thing in Jesus' mind when He faced the cross. The very first thing in Jesus' mind was the glory of God. To glorify His Father. To demonstrate to the world that God truly is preeminent. That God truly is prominent. That God truly is worthy of our worship. Did he think about the atonement? Did he think about the work that he was doing? I think so. Did, did, he, did he think about the people that would believe? Did he think about the church that would be formed and, and the people that would be saved? I imagine he probably did. But very first and foremost was the glory of his Father. You see, and what we have to be careful of is is of denying the benefits of the cross and the great works that come out of the cross for those that believe. We have hope because of that. We have salvation because of that. We, 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 have, we, we can find joy and peace in life because of that. But to make the mistake that our culture and even our conservative churches are often guilty of making and bringing this, this work of salvation and this work of the cross and putting us in that place of prominence demonstrates our vanity and, and our self-centeredness. You see, we can't, we, we, we can't deny that there's great benefit for us in the cross. 
We can't deny that God did an amazing work for us. But we must recognize that we're never meant to be the central focus. You see, salvation is His work. Salvation, eternal life, is as a a result of what He's done. He's the only one that deserves to be glorified in it. He's the only one that deserves to be honored because of it. And the unfortunate reality is is that we're all too often placing ourselves in that place of Jesus' honor and Jesus' glory. And we do not belong there. The The cross glorified God the Father. And we reap great benefit because of His glory. Well, how could such a horrendous event result in such great glory? How could something so terrible... The cross was so bad. It was seen as so uh, uh, painful and, 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 and tormenting that they developed a word for it. Excruciating means out of the cross. The, 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 the experience of being crucified was one of the most inhumane things ever done to allow people to hang there and suffocate slowly while feeling the weight of their bodies hanging from nails. And not to mention the beatings that they all went through before they went to the cross. And if they didn't die fast enough, Someone would walk up and break their legs. And then they'd hang there with that pain until they suffocated and died. See, it was an an agonizing and intense event. How could something so horrendous, something that's been painted as the most evil picture or the most evil event that humans have ever committed, how could such a terrible thing result in such glory? You see, there's a whole line of thinking around this. There's, there's liberal theologians that today that, that stand and say Jesus didn't have to die. That Jesus' death didn't, didn't result in anything. And, and to say that His death was substitutionary or that in some way He died in our place would be to say that God has committed some divine act of child abuse. You know, the, the, that perspective, it, it, wants to, it, it wants to focus on the victory that comes through the resurrection. It wants to say that by Jesus coming back from the dead that, that everything was done. But that totally denies the power of the cross. You see, it totally denies what was meant to be done there. You see, this, the, this perspective demands that we recognize victory without ever expecting that a payment for the debt of our sins ever to be paid through death. But when man and woman, when the first man and woman create, committed that sin and they ate of that fruit and they disobeyed God, God didn't say, well, I'll give you another chance. He didn't say, 
well, I love you so much, I'm just going to overlook your sin. He didn't say, you must not have understood me. Let's try again. Let's start over. He told them that it would result in death. And when he came to them, he sent them from his presence. And everyone that came from that, everyone who's been born of that line, which is all of us, are doomed to that same fate to always be separated and there is a debt we owe because of our fallenness there is a debt that comes with sin and that debt can only be paid by death there is no victory in resurrection without first being the debt being paid by death and while it is horrendous and while it is terrible to think of and and, and while it is hard to to picture in our minds what Jesus had to go through on the cross. (laughs) Without it, there would be no gathering here today. There would be no celebration because we'd still owe a debt that we couldn't pay. See, the cross glorifies God. Not because He's soft on sin, but because He's righteous and demanded the debt be paid. And He took it on Himself to make sure it was done. Because He was the only one righteous and perfect that could do it. You see, God, He's not glorified by making Him in some way soft on sin. He, to, to make Him soft on sin is to, to make Him unjust, unfair, or, 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 or to, to truly be unloving, to, to be uncaring and uncompassionate. Think about it. What if God didn't hold people accountable for sins? What if He just said, okay, I'll just overlook it and you guys come on? What would we do with people like uh, Jeffrey Dahmer who killed Nate people? Charles Manson, who just enjoyed killing people, or the son of Sam. They're pretty evil. I think we need to kick them out. What about Hitler? Saddam Hussein and other dictators like him, or like them, who killed so that they could could strike fear in people's hearts and they could rule with an iron fist. Hey, what about pedophiles? Or or, 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 or or rapists. Or those idiots that think it's okay to abuse their wives and children. Ah, man. I don't like them either. We better, we better keep, keep, keep them at arm's distance. We need to hold them accountable for, for their sin. They're really evil people. Ha, <laughs> You see, if, if, if God overlooks him and didn't deal with it, what would we do with those people? Well, we don't mean those people, do we? We, 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 we know those people are evil and they don't deserve it. And, and we're, we're talking about the good people. We're talking about those of us that come to church on Sunday. It could be raining or shining. And I'm here. See, I'm, I'm talking about me, the good people. I don't know if I could include you guys in that. 
Because I don't know what you're like when you're not around me. See, I'm talking about these good people who, who only have sex outside of marriage consensually because both parties agree. I'm talking about these good people that, that would never be so offensive to talk about someone to their face. They'd only do it behind their back because they don't want to hurt anybody's feelings. I'm, I'm talking about the good people. You know, you know, those good people who when they're in front of people, they try really hard. But when they're at home and the lights are out, nobody's looking. Those good people, you know, those guys that try in public. My son taught me a lesson about those kind of people once. He said they're like pancakes. It's like, how, how is that like a pancake? Well, they're nice and pretty on one side, golden brown. But you flip them over, they're covered up with little bubbles and holes. I'm talking about the good people, the, the ones like pancakes. They, they, they probably are okay, aren't they? Aren't we? See, the reality is, is that those people, those good people, are sitting in this room. One of those good people is standing up here giving a lesson that he doesn't deserve to give. You see, to demand that God be glorified by being soft on sin, it doesn't glorify God. To build a God that's more palatable, it makes another God that we like a little better. Because you see, we can live however we want to and do whatever we want to do. And He'll just love us and accept us and overlook it. You see, the cross, it glorifies God not, not because it was horrendous, but because in it He remained righteous when no one else in the world ever did. Paul picks up on this theme. He, he talks about this in Romans, Romans chapter 3. Reading in verse 10 through 12, he says, None is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. All have turned aside. I mean, he is, he is blatantly saying and, and, and reiterating what's already be, been written, that everyone is screwed up. We've all fallen short. We've all failed. The, the, the words go on and they're pretty harsh. But in verses 21 through 25, as he's dealing with this argument and he's presenting this perspective, he says, but now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short the glory of God. You need to understand that whether he was saying to people that whether you're Jew or Greek or whether you're rich or poor or whether you're, 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 you're good in your own eyes or bad, the reality is we've all fallen short. There's no distinctions. There's no difference. Everyone has failed. We are all sinners and deserving of death. We owe a debt to God that can't be paid. But... but he has manifested. He has shown us this righteousness. He has brought us to this place 
through the work of Christ. He goes on to say, let's pick up the context, for there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by His blood. That's a big word. you know what it means? As a satisfaction, as an appeasing for His righteous demand. To be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness. Listen to that again. This was to show God's righteousness. Because in His divine forbearance, He had passed over former sins. If you had lived in Old Testament times and had been given the law, if you were a Jew that had been given the law, it would have been very easy to assume that by following these rules and following and doing these things precisely that you could in some way be righteous. But it didn't happen. No one could. They all fell short. The law proved that we are fallen, that we're sinners. Jesus comes on the picture not first and foremost to, to, to have us in mind and to exalt people, but to glorify God, to, 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 to do a work so that as He overlooked sin, so that as He dealt with a sinful people, as He worked in them and through them, that He would remain righteous. And the same remains true today. We don't earn our righteousness. We don't do our good works of our own will and our own power. It happens through the work of Christ on the cross. We're acceptable to God because of what He's done. You see, the cross of Christ, it glorifies God because in it He remains righteous. He's done this work. And He remains righteous. To, to take it away, to, to remove it, would demand that God had overlooked sin and didn't give us what we deserved. And would demonstrate that He's not righteous. And He doesn't care. And in some way, He looks at us and thinks if they can make it on their own, they'll make it. If not, what have I lost? You see, Jesus' death on the cross, it glorifies God. How then does this play out? What's the fallout for a truth like this for you and for me? First, we should recognize that sin is absolutely unacceptable. It is unacceptable. In the cross, we, we have this indication and this picture of how offensive sin is to God. It, it, he gave us this picture, this, this, this event that's so agonizing and so painful and so excruciating that in it we see how offensive this is to God. <laughs> Learn and recognize what sin is. It's not the rules that people put on us. See, cultural, cultural perspectives and religious tradition put on us rules that may or may not be sin to break them. The Bible teaches what sin is. It's not things that offend people first. It's things that offend God. 
And so you need to understand, I need to understand, we need to study His Word. We need to recognize what sin is to God. We need to learn it and recognize it. As we learn it and as we understand what sin is, we must turn from it. It's unacceptable. We've been called to die to it. We've been called to put it to death in our bodies. And as we recognize it, and as we turn to it, or turn from it, and sometimes even when we're not willing to turn from it, we need to accept loving correction in it. And we might need to lovingly correct someone in it. You see, this, this is something we don't like to talk about in church today. But if God wouldn't overlook sin and He sent Christ to the cross, I think that we must recognize what sin is, we must turn from it, and we must lovingly deal with one another in it, helping one another overcome it. That's me, and that's you. God's grace doesn't come just simply in, in feelings of emotion and peace, but it comes in the works that He does in and through His people. And as the church, we must stand together to put death to sin. Put sin to death. We should recognize that there is no victory over sin except through faith in Christ. As good as you think you are, you will never measure up. To, to, to make some other standard as if you can is simply to make a set of rules that aren't holy and righteous because they didn't come from Him. And so to try and make that standard and live up to it and, 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 and exalt yourself to that place is simply that. It's exalting yourself. On the other side of that spectrum, I don't think that we as believers are called to beat ourselves down and, and I can never do anything right and I'm just terrible and I'm a loser and I, God just He must be out to get me because I can't ever get it right. You see, I think that's two ends of, of the same spectrum. And, and to do that, to not recognize what you've been given, to not recognize that you have been freed and that in Christ there is no condemnation is to doubt His forgiveness. And in some ways set up another set of standards that God, I'm too sinful for God to forgive. I've got to work this out myself. Or to, to assume that God's power, that His care for you, His concern for you is not enough to forgive you. And that doesn't glorify God. You see, God in the cross paid the debt of sin and He calls you to believe. Turn from sin. Rest in grace. Live a righteous life. Trust in the work of Christ on the cross. Accept His love and grace and mercy, recognizing He's called you to a life of self-denial and glorifying Him. We should recognize that sin is unacceptable. Recognize that there is no victory over sin except through the cross of Christ. And we should recognize that God alone and no others deserve our worship. No other God in all of history 
No other created God has ever been willing or able to do what God has done in the cross of Christ. He alone deserves the honor. He alone deserves the glory. There's an old hymn by Isaac Watts, and I've got the words of, of it. That, that Just listen. When I survey the wondrous cross on which the Prince of Glory died, my richest gain I count but loss. Forbid it, Lord, that I should boast, save in the death of Christ my God. All the, thing, all the vain things that charm me most I sacrifice them to his blood. See from his hands or from his head, his hands, his feet, sorrow and love flow mingled down. Did e'er such love and sorrow meet, or thorns compose so rich a crown? Were the whole realm of nature mine, that were an offering far too small. Love so amazing and so divine demands my soul, my life, my all. God alone deserves the glory. And in the cross of Christ, this road to the cross, we recognize that. <laughs> the cross of Christ glorifies God and pays the debt of our sin. And in it, He remains righteous and we recognize His power we recognize His worthiness and we can see His glory. Every head bowed and every eye closed. What?